Hey, welcome everybody to Five Pin Universe's sixth podcast. Uh, we got a special guest with us today, but I'm just going to introduce the regulars. We got Dexter and Tim Wiseman and Adam Weber as usual. Myself, Kerry Kreitz, is your host. And we have Tim Thompson keeping up the East rep here from Bufa Distributors. He's a customer service representative with them. And he has some ideas and wants to learn a little bit about Five Pin Bowling, and we're here to help him out. First topic, I guess I'll bring in, what makes you a competitive bowler? Or another way to look at it is a successful bowler. What makes you successful? Is it the amount of money you win at these tournaments? Is it the prestige of the tournaments that you win? Or is it the average you keep through across these tournaments? What are your guys' thoughts on them? Good question. I don't know. For, for me, I think it changes uh, throughout the years. Uh, I think early on in the career, everybody's looking for that quick money, right? And then, uh, you know, obviously, you know, average brings that money in. So I, I don't think that that overall average is as significant. And then I think as the uh, as the career goes on, uh, the, I, I start, you know, looking more at titles than, than anything now. There's a lot of pride with, with wins, and uh, the money just kind of comes along with it. But uh, I think that that consistency is probably the the biggest. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I, I think it's all about the wins now. At least it is for me. I mean, the money is really nice, but you know, never nobody ever really remembers how much money somebody won. <laughs> they always remember who won. You know, um, I think that's far more important. I think leaving a legacy is kind of what we all want to do, right? Absolutely. We always want to be remembered. So I think that's uh, yeah, all about the wins for me for sure. Yeah, I, I totally agree with legacy there. We don't talk about in our in our five pin game, Tim. We don't talk about like uh, Jason Belmonte and his cash wins. It's <laughs> or his money. It's money, right? We're talking about the wins, right? And or well, national championships and stuff like that. Yeah, you, you picked a good player to pick as uh, as your uh, trophy boy. We'll we'll yeah. call him that. He's not a trophy boy. He's definitely definitely the all time best right now on everyone's lips. For me, I think what makes a great bowler is consistency and durability over time. If you have somebody who has a really hot year, you don't want to be a flash in the pan. That's the last thing you want to be. Trophy versus money. I got to say, can I have both? <laughs> yeah. Because uh, yes. they, they usually go hand in hand. I mean, like, the, you know, money is one thing. Like, uh, you win 10 grand, cool, you put money into your house, uh, you win a hundred grand, cool. Your wife takes half of it. Uh, you win a hundred grand. Your kids, your kids suddenly say, "I want to go to Stanford." But son, you have C grades. That's not going to work. You know, there's so many ways you can you can blow that winnings. And with a trophy, at least, at least if your name is on something, you got legacy. You got something that stays on the shelf. You know, and it really is attached to something. Um, like me personally. Uh, I've won a whack of money, and like it's 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 mostly gone back into funding bowling to trying again and again and again. Really, you know, yeah. like you guys can probably admit it. Like, probably half of what you win doesn't actually go into your pocket; it goes back into the next event or back into getting better. And money on equipment, money on travel, vehicle usage, flights. Uh, you know, uh, how many times do you guys go bowl a tournament, make some cash, and say, "Hey, let's go to the keg," or buy a round of beers? Yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, you know yeah. the it. You don't necessarily take the cash home, but it's a nice little token thing for sure. We kind of have a funny thing out here when you win a tournament. It, the champion usually takes all the, the close group of people that stay around for the end to watch it out to supper. And you can really sure. tell the guys that are rich because they buy the cheapest supper. <laughs> pizza. I ordered pizza. Pizza 73. Pizza 73. McDonald's it was, yeah. McDonald's. Uh, well, <laughs> if I won, I would say let's go to the uh, Real Canadian Brew House and get the, the steak tips. Those are good. Yeah, yeah. Those, Those are, are really good. good. Very good. Yeah. 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 Do you, so, do you think um, the money in in ten pin is a little bit different in, in five pin? I mean, for us, all, all we get all we get is just like the money, money. Um, you know, so we win five grand in a tournament, and that's that's huge for us. But do you think that the winning of the money in ten pin gets a little bit lost when some people are having million dollar sponsorships? Well, the last person sponsored for a million bucks was. Uh... 
that I can think of uh, was Chris Barnes signed a deal with Columbia. You're talking like more than a decade ago for a million dollars, but it was like a million dollars over eight years. Gotcha. So basically he's just a uh, – he was at the same salary level as a doctor maybe. Like we're not talking like he's banking a million dollars, but like uh, in the 60s, I think you had – 60s or 70s, you had Earl Anthony who was the first million-dollar athlete ever, not just mm-hmm. a bowler. That was a big deal. But like now, you know, you look at the top of the PBA Tour money list, you've got a couple guys over six figures cashing from the tour money. But everything else is like from their sponsorship, and a lot of these guys got to work their butts off to yeah. make money. Like they're, you know, they got to do appearance fees and all kinds of stuff like that to make money. And if you're an amateur, uh, if you're fortunate enough to be a really good amateur, you can you can still hack out a good living, but you got to have a lot of frequent flyer points because mm-hmm. the for a long time the PBA tour is a North American thing. It was really an American thing. You never left the continental U.S. And now, yeah. with the European Bowlers Tour and the WTB Tour and stuff like that, you're going to spend three months of your year on the road, in a not in a different area code, but like in a different continent. I can't imagine having to have a family at home and stuff like that and got kids and a wife and stuff and a house and a mortgage to pay and be gone for six weeks at a time through Europe. Like it, It's not a European vacation where you're, you're you know, traveling across Europe and having fun. You're doing what a lot of other guys do, and you're basically, you're working, you're bowling for a paycheck. Um, yeah. that, that's um, a question you know, I start, have for yeah. you, Tim. Uh, comparing 5-pin to 10-pin, uh, just as Dexter did, 5-pin has really made a turn, we could say, in the last five years. It, it was sure. on, on a steady decline, and in the last five years with the, the WCBT and these tournaments really putting um, the effort into make them big events, like 200 plus sure. entries and stuff like that. Um, has 10 pin kind of made the same turn as well? Because obviously like you, you had mentioned Chris Barn was the last big signing and then everything else. So I imagine the signings have kind of gone down. Has that come back around with the evolution of Jason Belmonte and the two handers coming around and bringing more entertainment, I guess, into it? Well, I gotta say, I did watch the, I, I found the, um, uh, WCBT uh, on YouTube. I watched like a full two episodes and stuff. I watched, I think, an event from Regina or Golden Mile, I think yeah. it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I watched a match of a guy named Brad and a guy named Greg. Yeah, yeah. 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 Brad and I watched, I watched, Greg, yeah. yeah, the Brad guy had the uh, the wristband on. The, the, not the wristband, he had the elbow, bra- elbow brace on. Yeah. yeah. The tensor brace. And that Brad guy, he had absolutely the worst case of luck I've ever seen. <laughs> in that match, yeah, it was, it was like he went, like he went left, like in in ten minutes, he went seven ten, like three or four times in the match. And I think the first three frames, he like opened everything. Yeah, uh-huh. like that, that that's tough to recover from in any situation, <laughs> especially yeah. after um, a four day tournament. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're you're feeling it. You're exhausted. Your legs are tired. Yeah. You know, and I gotta say, like I gotta compliment you guys. The the production quality was really good. That was, you know, that like, was actually uh, a local cable company out of Regina that did that one. Yeah, yeah. it looked really good actually. Yeah. And like, with like getting back to your question about has the game seen a revival? I wouldn't say it's seen a revival so much as it's seen uh, an evolution because. Like, you look at so many other forms of media, right? Like, nobody really goes to the movies anymore. Like, I, I still do. I still buy movie passes from Costco to go to Cineplex Odeon as much as I can. But, like, I have Netflix on my TV here, and the other half of what I watch is on YouTube or on Amazon Prime and stuff. And if you can't sell the product to people at home still, you're going to have a hard time uh, getting an audience. So, like, now with the PBA Tour, they had extra frame, and they turned it into flow bowling. Full Bowling is basically their online channel for, for distribution. They used to have a model, I think it was a pay-per-month model or a pay-per-year model. I think they still run that model. And that works well to get more eyeballs on the screen and stuff like that. But like the number of actual people that follow it, I think now you have a more hardcore crowd, but you have a smaller, more concentrated crowd right. that are willing to pay 25 bucks a month to watch a streaming service of guys bowling. Right. You know? So... Uh, the question I have for you, Tim, is that, I'm, you, like as you mentioned, you're sponsored by Storm. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. So yep. what does what does Storm do for you? I guess right. I mean, do they help pay your entry fees? Help with your travel? Or what, what exactly do they exactly do? Well, there's different levels of sponsorship with uh, all the different bowling companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can be like pro shop guy, where basically uh, you're sponsored because you help sell product. Ultimately, ultimately, every company needs to see numbers, mm-hmm. and just like Coca-Cola sponsoring professional athletes. If you are a professional athlete that wakes up and gets a DUI tomorrow, you definitely don't help the brand. You know, like uh, when Tiger Woods had his fiasco a couple of years ago, everybody dropped him and then some. Yeah. You know, so uh, basically your your job, number one, is to promote the brand. Be a good leader. Be a good role model if you can. The guys that are on tour generally, they are they are paid. They're salaried, but they still got to work. They still got to either go help out in pro shops uh, visit pro shops, you know, uh, help make media, help do social media, stuff like that. You know, so really it's evolved from just like stand there, take off your cap and, and wave your little hat and stuff to, you gotta be a social presence. You got a media, you gotta be a social media presence. And Storm's really big on that. And a lot of the other brands are too. And through that, you get product support, you get product Mm -hmm. to use per Mm -hmm. year and stuff like that. And also, uh, it builds on the more product you sell, the more you get back, you get a percentage back. Mm-hmm. And generally, the more you represent the brand, the better you do. So the, the one, the one guy, like I've been to, a, we've been to a couple bowl expos mm-hmm. down the states, and the one guy that I was always been insanely impressed with was Norm Duke. You go by oh, yeah. storm. You go by the storm shop. He is automatically selling that stuff like nobody's else. He doesn't Absolutely. care. He, He's not in signing autographs. He's there to work, right? He's there to interact yep. with people, and uh, I, I know it's a huge difference with him and at least the Storm brand that way. Absolutely, with Storm, yeah. it's really they are a brand that looks at building. Uh, the brand is a character. The brand is is a persona itself as well, mm-hmm. and it's not just about you know kissing hands and shaking babies. I, lo- I love using that expression, so even, even though it really should be kissing babies, shaking hands. But like, no. like, like uh, I'll go to tournaments and I'll know, I'll know a good majority of the bowlers and stuff like that. But I'll, like, I'm six foot five. I'm uh, about two hundred and twenty pounds and stuff like that. I've been bowling for over twenty years. I started in juniors as well, so a lot of times people will recognize me and want to talk to me and stuff like that. And I'll I'll talk to them. I'll share a couple of minutes with them and stuff like that. But I'm bad with names, so I'll go. Yeah, I remember you from Quebec City, and I remember from you in this place. And yeah, your brother's a plumber and stuff, and your kid bowled really well. And it's just basically having good interaction with them and stuff yeah. like that. And Norm Duke is, like you said, phenomenal. one of the best. He's phenomenal at working the crowd. He's, they have a bunch of other players too that are big names like that too. Belmonte is very good for that too. Norm Duke's. I've, I've been with him a couple times. Liz Johnson is really good for that. Like, yeah, I remember that. Liz Johnson was great. The one yeah, I, I tell we've the story hosted her a couple the, times at our center. Tell the story to to this day. I think Chris Barnes is a dink. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I thought he wasn't very good rep for everybody out there, but uh, he, he didn't care about anybody. People come up and talk to him. He's just shoot him away, right? You know. But not, and that's where then I then honestly the next booth I went over was Norm and it totally blew me away right, I felt Parker Bowen was, was really great with things too and he was down to earth on things like that. Parker has made it. Parker has made a good living at doing that. And if you guys ever looked up what his fan club is, it's got the funniest name ever. It's the Bone Zone. <laughs> <laughs> and he was working the fan club angle. Uh, in the middle nineties, I think just when the internet started coming out, he was like really big on the internet and he had a, uh, and it's, it's B O, uh, B O H N. And mm-hmm. Brunswick at the time had a line of bone balls called the zones and they had like 80 or 90 of them because people come in and say, Hey, I have a zone and you go, which one? Pick a color. It, there was like so many of them and there was like, you know, just too many. And, uh, he had the bone zone as his fan club. And he really was really, really good at marketing that as well. And and Belmo's done a really good job that with that too because he's got really – he's built his own brand, which was really unique for bowling because, like, Mike, everybody knows Michael Jordan and everybody knows Michael Jordan's shoes and stuff like that. And, and everyone's got a pair of Jordan socks and Jordan shoes at home. But with, with uh, Belmonte, he got his name on a bowling ball. He got his name on the Storm Timeless and then the Storm Drive. And the two balls sold really, really well. 
What whatever happened to the timeless? I don't see anybody throwing it anymore. It still sells really, really big. It yeah. sold really, really well in Tenpin. Okay. Uh, cool. They just recently discontinued the timeless because it was out for, I think, around two years ish or so. That's about the average lifespan for a bowling ball, and the drive is All still right. selling quite well too. Yeah. Yeah. I guess something we talked about is lifespan of bowling balls, right? I mean, Tenpin's only two yeah. years, right? This is a and really good I, topic. Yeah, and for me out here, I think I've used the same one for the past twenty, right? I mean, for so sure. I mean, Dexter can probably elaborate more what he thinks about bowling balls, right, or carry. But uh, uh, so I guess what's the the marketing behind the ten pin ball, and why it only last two years? Uh, I remember you guys talking about the technical side of this and stuff, yeah. and and you guys were fifty fifty. Like you, you got the uh, okay. the consumable part of it right. Right. So. For a 10-pin bowling ball, basically, the way the bowling ball works is it needs to create friction, same way as a 5-pin ball does. With 5-pin, mm-hmm. right, you want the ball to slow down and roll, basically, and 10-pin is the same thing, same principle. And uh, the more friction the ball can create, the more the ball can hook, uh, and there's other characteristics of the, of the physics behind it, too, that, that are a bit complicated. But uh, the durability of a bowling ball, it, I wouldn't say it's necessarily um, two years. I'd say the marketability of a bowling ball is two years because oh, – uh, the same thing, just like a car, right? You don't want to go and buy a Corolla today and then five years from now go out and buy the exact same Corolla. You want to have a Corolla with newer features, different colors, better headlights, uh, more gizmos, more gadgets, more blah, 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 blah. And if you buy the same Honda over and over and over and over again, it's not cool anymore, you know? Okay. And with yeah. Tenpin, uh, they, can, they can enhance the covers with different products and different textures and stuff like that. Just color changes too. Even with five pin, with you guys, it's a lot of the way you have a new model next year is ooh, it's a new color. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah right. for sure. Yeah, yeah. every time that they've come out with a new bowling ball at Epco for years, it's just been it's the a best same seller bowling it's ball. A new color. Oh yeah, yeah. it's just the same bowling ball, just a different color scheme now. So that I mean, yeah. the scorpions, cobras, vipers, all the same thing, it's just all different color thing. schemes. So, yeah, all yeah, oh, exactly. new balls. They're not. Yeah. And with ten pin, with ten pin, at least the thing is this: they can. They can change the core shapes inside. They can create more dynamic cores. And you guys did name it right. It was asymmetrical versus symmetrical. Uh, those are the two types of main cores. And there's a lot of different characteristics with those cores too. But really makes what makes a ball no longer uh, usable for the average bowler is oil absorption. Yeah. So the ball will be soft. It'll absorb oil, create friction. And over time, even with really good maintenance, eventually the ball will lose reaction, no longer finish as well as it did. Uh, day one versus day thousand and one, and you got to go out and go see your pro shop guy and get your ball cleaned, and, is, and possibly look at a new, new ball. This is when people start baking their bowling balls too, right? You got a hundred different ways to do it, and a lot yeah. of them are either your wife will kill you or your kids will kill you because they see you doing something <laughs> stupid. Like, <laughs> yeah, okay, hold on. Of you four guys, right? Which one of you has put your bowling balls in a dishwasher? Show of hands. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, Never. No. Yeah. Okay, no. that that's that's fifty percent of the bowling crowd that I know that plays five pin. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even want to know of the audience how many of them do it. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I'm, I'm sure you guys have seen it happen where someone puts a bowling ball in an oven. Yeah, uh, yeah, Stevie's, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> we we know. Put a bowling ball. Yeah, bowling ball in an oven comes out like a charcoal briquette. You know, <laughs> uh, it's not the first time I've seen it happen. It won't be the last time I see it happen. You know, customer puts a bowling ball in and they go, oh, I'm going to put it on broil because that'll make it heat up faster. <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea how many times I've seen it happen. There's there's a famous picture on the Internet of a bowling ball and the person did that. They put the ball in the oven and they put it on 350 on high or whatever to bake a pizza. And uh, the ball surface looks like uh, looks like a Montreal road. Like we're really famous here for having really crummy roads and stuff like that, or it's all broken up. The bowling ball looked like that. It looked really bad. And there are safe ways to rejuvenate or clean your bowling ball. Like uh, we have in our shops, we have a detox machine. You can Google the thing. It's a Jayhawk, de- a Jayhawk detox. Basically, it's an ultrasonic bath. It heats up the water to around 120, 130 degrees. And I can send you guys photos. Basically, the, the water will be, look like milk. Just It'll just look, the oil. 
it brings out all the oil and all the cleaner and all the residue and all the junk because it heats up the pores of the ball basically and all the stuff comes out. And we can put five pinballs in there too. They fit. All right. Oh. Yeah. You, yeah. You were talking and it works really, really well. In an earlier conversation that Starlines were polyester cover stock. Is yep. that – so would something like that work on polyester or plastic balls? Is that uh, like a it, specific uh, material It would definitely or? work – it would definitely work with uh, the FIPS balls because they're softer rubber. Uh, it should work with most Paramounts too. And I think it would probably work with Starlines to a certain degree. Like with Starlines, like I've been told by a lot of the better bowlers that, that the cover is really hard to maintain because the, the, it starts off really shiny, really tacky. So it's easy to hold. After some use and stuff, the ball gets all scuffed up and dirty and stuff, and it's just impossible to hold on to stuff. Right. Well, you know, seems so like per- personally, I, I like it though, because uh, I, I I prefer less tack, uh, mm-hmm. so I actually like it slipping off a little bit. So uh, okay. when I do when I do clean them, it, it takes probably you know six, seven, eight games uh, by the time it gets to a feel that I'm really comfortable with again. Your yeah, cover stock on yours, though, Adam. Your cover stock on yours is better maintained than uh, than a lot of Starlines I've seen out there. I've sure. replaced my Starline so many times because I eventually just can't hold on to it anymore. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas yours still has that deep blue and it still has that 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 shine to it. I think it's because you actually do take care of them. I don't. Sure. I just throw a ball. Right? Like <laughs> I really don't. I don't. Even, I don't use a towel. I never. You use a towel on every shot. You're taking the oil off of it. I never do. It just it just fills it up. Yeah. Yeah. The problem with it. The problem with Starlines is they, they start cracking. And, yeah, there's, uh, they're there's really little, hard. little chips and everything that come out of it. So uh, that's also why I haven't paid Joe Wood yet. But it just has something to do with whatever film or whatever gets created after like five or six games. Uh, it just comes off the, the hands so much better than any other ball I've ever thrown. Uh-huh. Like with, uh, I've seen with the older Starlines, the dark, dark blue ones with the speckles and stuff like that. They're rock hard. They're really, really, really hard. Yeah. And and even like a house ball, like you got to have something durable that's not going to be destroyed by the by the average ball in public. Yep. You know. Yeah. Right now we're using uh, Cobras for house balls, and it's probably the worst decision we've ever made. Too they soft. Get, oh yeah, man. They get they just get destroyed. How many it's, of them get stolen? Uh, honestly, not that bad. Not that bad. We don't see too no, many they're, of them they're, walk they're, out, so. They're too beat up to be taken. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, the public's a little too honest still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, not... the thing is, too, if, yeah. if they look too good, then they get stolen for sure. Yeah. yeah. It, it was the old uh, black, orange, and what was the other color? Yellow in them? The old house balls? Those are the ones that yeah. get stolen now. You see everybody oh, the scorpions. has one. They're, they're old, old school. Old I'm scorpions not... or yeah. the... Um, no, uh, or are you referring to the Brunswick carry? Yeah, the Brunswick. Oh, the t- oh yeah, yeah. Those, those are really, stripe. really. T- yeah, Tiger Stripes, the Tiger 78D. No, no, before that. These, these Brunswicks were the original house balls. So what, what they actually are is when, when the wood pins would break down or it snap, mm-hmm. they'd get sent back and they'd get crushed into the core. And all these oh, balls had okay, like okay. wood cores. And it was oh. almost like a tar coating on the outside. Yeah. Um, okay, the old okay. Brunswick house balls, yeah. Even here in Quebec, the uh, if if customers bring in a, a set of five pin balls, I don't know if I'm uh, duck pin balls, and they're old Brunswick's, they're the softest rubber, and when you have to turn them down or, or clean them or resurface them, they stink. They smell yeah. so bad. It smells like it, tar. It smells like a burning car tire. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Like Those are exactly what we're us, talking about. Even for us, with uh, we have a laser engraving machine in our in our pro shops. Mm-hmm. At the warehouse, so when you guys call an order and say I want a bowling ball with, uh, and it needs to have engraving and stuff, we have to put the laser engraving on the ball. With um, soft rolls, it's got a really distinct smell. With the Brunswick balls, the old ones, it's got a really bad smell. It smells like burning tires. Paramounts is not so bad because we're we're so used to the smell in the office, we just ignore it now. And with uh, the Aramith ones, they smell bad because you got to pass the laser four or five times because they're so hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which I'm kind of surprised you guys don't use those because they're really hard. They're really straight. We do. Right? We do use them out here, but a lot of people want a lot of turn on their ball, so you you won't see guys throwing them too often. Okay. The, the other thing is too is I found I found with the Aramiths the grip on them are if my hand is super dry, it'll be the best grip I've had in my life. 
but mm-hmm. the second you get any sort of moisture on them at all, do you Too lose sticky? all control? No, no you, yeah. uh, you, you can't. You can't hang on to them. Oh yeah. Okay. So yeah. that's why I used to throw them all the time, and I went away from them just because I, you know, ten games into the open or whatever, I just I couldn't do it anymore. Well, they're just mm-hmm. a giant so. pool ball, right? They're made yeah. by Airmith, yep. which was a billiards company. <laughs> Still is, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Still a big billiards company. Yeah. And with Aramith too, they're coming from Belgium, so we have to get them usually two, three times a year. And for us, we need to kind of like forecast production a little bit and, and, and basically place an order and say, I really hope orange this year is popular. I really hope yellow this year is popular. Right. And yeah. we do a pretty good guessing game. Like Juan does a really good job of forecasting stuff. But every once in a while, people just suddenly want to change and mm-hmm. – Everyone wants red. We don't have red. No. Too bad. They were. It's interesting. Those were honestly for a couple of years, two or three years. They were the cheapest bowling balls we could buy, and mm-hmm. now they're like the most expensive. Most expensive. Balls we could they buy. are the most yeah. expensive. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy and, the, the evolution of that. And that's that's just a simple fact of the euro actually gaining. The euro gains space against the dollar, against the U.S. dollar as well. Our our politician, our leader from the U.S. He's doing a fantastic job of making sure that everyone knows he's in charge. <laughs> Obviously, this is not a political podcast, but no. I don't want to get into that. That's a, that's a private conversation. He's doing a, he's doing a bang-up job right now, making Canada look real appealing. Yeah, I can tell you that much. Yeah. Put it that way. But uh, yeah, uh, with Epco, everything is a, everything is made in U.S. and everything is paid in U.S. dollars, and got to translate back into Canadian dollars. And when our dollar Pardon the expression takes the shit. We pay more. That's just that's just a simple fact of life, you know. Yeah. Uh, with everything, pretty much, and with that, with um, with Aramith, same thing. When the euro gains traction against us, we pay more. You know, yeah. the Canadian dollar, unfortunately, is the little guy in town. And if the whole world did business with the Canadian dollar, man, we'd be we'd be loving it. But it's yeah. just not the case. Have you ever seen Epco get into any sort of sponsorship at all? Like we talked about Storm, do you see them getting involved with anything like that? Uh, them being the big boy in the block, probably it'd be a hard ask because they they know they don't really have to. Exactly. Um, you know, they they dominate the game in in small ball pretty much, and even in, even in pool, I think in North America they do a good chunk of the business. Uh. I want to say they would would want to, but I don't know if they would, honestly. You yeah, know, like okay. uh, if if sponsorships came, I think you see more dollars come from local businesses and saw a better value out of it. Yeah. You know, like even even for ten pin, like a lot of bowlers that get sponsored, they don't get necessarily sponsored by a brand. They get sponsored by the local bowling center, or you just have some guy who's a friends with them who's got a small business like a plumbing or or yeah. something like that. You know, Joe's Plumbing A one or whatever. They'll put his name on his back and stuff, and they'll get more value out of that. Yeah, and that's, so. that's what most of the sponsorship out this way is too. It's a it's a either a friend or a small business backing, and usually it's for a percentage of the winnings as well, right? It's it's an investment. Yeah, for sure. Than anything. You need to bet on your horse. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And if I'm betting, I'm going to bet on Andrew. Adam. <laughs> or Adam. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, we, we don't care about anything either. Yeah. yeah. No, in that case, I'm going to bet on the guy in my top right corner. Buzz cut. Buzz cut. That kind of segues into to something I, I've wanted to yeah. kind of talk about for a bit too is sure. you know, what, what, what are the chances of five pin bowling becoming like a, a living? in our lifetime, right? Uh, do, do, do we have, you know, the, the, the pro status potential? Do we have, you know, the major sponsorship potential at any point? Uh, I, I know Jim Head out of Ontario uh, attempted it uh, a year or two there, and uh, I, I don't know exactly how he ended up doing, but uh, I, I'm assuming that's, that's not still going. <laughs> no, well, no. And hopefully and for his sake, he's too, not right? living, hopefully he's not like living in a van down by the river, but... <laughs> oh. I, I, I can tell you, I can tell you from knowing a lot of the pro bowlers and stuff like that, and a lot of the guys that, that took a run at it and stuff from the Tempin side, they took a solid run at it and had good backing from people back at home with with deep pockets and stuff like that, and it was really tough to make a living. Um, 
you know, and and I'm sure you guys can attest to this too. If you work on the road and as a sales rep and stuff, it's really tough to live out of a suitcase. You know, yeah. like if things are going good and you're on a, pardon the expression, but you're on a gravy train with biscuit wheels, to quote Ernie McCracken, things are great. You can have the keg every night. <laughs> you know, but if things aren't and you're more the Munson of the group, you're having Subway. Right. You know, yeah. You're eating Subway consistently. From from my viewpoint of the size of the market, if five can ever be big enough to make a living at, you'd have to have major money come in maybe from government sources. You know, like uh, I know the Heritage Canada funded some part of five pin bowling because it is a national game. It's only available in Canada, right? Yeah, I think. Yeah. Correct. And, you know, Sport Canada does put a bit of money, I think, into uh, the 10 pin side for national teams, if I'm right. And Bull Canada holds a lot of funding too because the, the proprietors basically fund everything. You could probably make like, uh, you, could, you could make a good weekend Warriors money like you guys are already yeah. doing. But any more than that, basically, you'd need to get, you need to sell the game on TV or in, on, yeah. online, basically, right? Like, yeah. uh, if you put up a YouTube video of somebody bulls and they get a million views, you'll make a couple hundred bucks from YouTube, I'm sure. Yeah. And from the from the clicks and the and the ads and stuff, you know. But you won't be pew pew. You won't be PewDiePie or whatever his name is. I forget his name. Yeah. But you know, I, like I watch, I follow a bunch of YouTubers that do gaming and stuff like that because I'm I'm 33 and I still play my PS4 and Xbox daily. You know, uh, I I still play Grand Theft Auto and Red Dead Redemption, which is sitting on my shelf right now that I haven't cracked yeah, open I, yet. Yeah, I paused that just to come do this with you guys. So. <laughs> <laughs> once once I'm done, I'm gonna go back to uh, playing. I think Sniper Elite Four because I got it on Xbox Gold for free. So, <laughs> and and there's a bunch of podcasts and and, and actually you laugh. The majority of the podcasts that I listen to are either about business finance. Like learning new marketing ideas and stuff like that, or about video games, and they have uh, either ads built in and stuff like that. They have sponsors built into the podcast and stuff, like Cast for Mattresses. Like <laughs> I want one now, just to sponsor these guys. But like I know I, I know I won't like it. I know I'm not gonna like it. <laughs> um, um, you know. Just to, to touch base with you on Tim on the like the marketing that. Uh, the government gives out it, it sure. actually goes through uh the federation yeah the bowling federation and then it gets filtered down to c c10 c5 mm-hmm. and then it goes down to bowl canada so i like i think on a professional level i don't think there's any money from that aspect yeah because it's already taken up by associations, associations. Yeah. yeah yeah what do you think the odds are of five pin ever actually making headway into the states uh it's something that i we've talked about a lot and and I know, I mean, obviously duck pin and candle pin because both are still in the eastern states there as well. I know those are clearly not nearly as big as as ten pin is, but no. from a proprietor's standpoint, I mean, the maintenance on a five pin machine is very low. Nothing, nothing low. compared to a ten pin machine, right? Yep. So yep. I mean, I feel like there's a, a market for it in the states at some point. With especially like, I mean, the, the Americans come up and they'll play it and they'll be like, "Oh, it's like little kids bowling," because mm-hmm. the balls are small. <laughs> but I mean, how is there not a market for that when you could play up to a hundred years old and you really can't do that with with ten pin, right? So well, not to the same extent. Yeah, I maybe mean, not. But I know with ten pin, like I have a. I have a handful of customers that are uh, easily in their 80s, easily. And yeah. probably some of them are lying about their ages and, and their 90s. I don't even know it yet. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, like you say, it's a handful. Like you go to a small eight-lane center here in central Alberta, and they'll have four leagues full of seniors over 70, right? It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Actually, yeah, I'll give you yeah. guys absolute credit yeah. for that. You're 100% right. Uh, with 10-pin, maybe your age your age kind of caps out of like 70 or 80 basically right. once you can run to the line and still hold on to something that heavy and that big like i'm a push-up operator and i spend all day long just fixing people's grips right. so with with 10 pin like you if you can't hold on to the ball you can't throw the ball well and we we spend a lot of time having to fix grips on people on senior citizens stuff like that having to pitch change pitchings and finger grips and and plugging the regional on the bowling ball and going down to weight and stuff like that uh, the question that the question was why isn't five pin in the states? 
Well, yeah. it, well, do do, do you see a market? market? Do you see a market of of five pin network moving into the states? Yeah, there could be absolutely. I don't think there why there wouldn't be. But the thing is that the five pin five pin is a Canadian game, right? And it's you got to make the game really, really generic and really, really sterile to make it be able to sell in other markets. With ten pin, the game is kind of universal because it followed the U.S. Army, right? So yes. every single place that had a U.S. military base got a bowling center. It, you know? But it, in all fairness, the Canadians did the same thing. There, yeah. there were an, all over Europe. There were five pin lanes because of the Canadian bases too. It just yep, yep, one hundred percent right. It just didn't yeah. stick. It, it didn't last it versus ten pin. Well, because Canadian and, troops uh, pull out of the countries that they were occupying. That's also because we're not there to occupy. You're 100 right. You're 100 right. We're not there. We're not there to occupy. We're there to be peacemakers, and then we go back. We go back to our rubber dinghy and get back in the navy. Like I, 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 I a thousand percent support the troops. I have quite a few friends that are in the military. Yep. But you know, like Team America, America's police force, U.S. military. You know. Yeah. There, there was a joke I was reading today that said uh, the second biggest, the second biggest air force in the in the world behind the U.S. Air Force is the U.S. Navy. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, like one single carrier will have a hundred thousand tons of diplomacy on it. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's yeah. the big elephant in the room. <laughs> and when you look at and five pin and ten pin is the same thing. Ten pin is the elephant in the room. It's really big, and you get mm-hmm. five pin on a on a local scale on a Canadian scale. It's it's the elephant in the room because there's more five pins and ten pins in Canada for sure. Yeah. You guys are the, are the dominant factor. I, sure. I just think you go down to the states, and uh, I think people honestly they just will snub it in a way. I I, I just know it because they're either uh, they're not open to it or they just they're just they're. If you go to like yeah. Boston yeah. area and stuff like that, they play a lot of lot of hard belly duck pin, right? Um, I yep. think I think five pin would sell out that way because they're already playing small ball. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, if you go to Las Vegas and try and open up a five pin center right beside the Brooklyn Center, it's not going to fly. It it's going to yeah. be the entertainment value is just not there for all the drinkers, right? Unless you got beer pong right next door, that'd be a tough sell. <laughs> yeah, I was O'Shea's. I was O'Shea's. <laughs> oh. I can I can play beer pong all night all night long with some old duels or some Canadian or some Labatt Five or whatever something like that. I can, I can do it no problem. Yeah, it, it'd be a bit tough with like a Canadian or a shock top or something like that in my hands. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I feel like if we were to open up a five pin center in a major city, I think you know being the only one, how how could the novelty of it not? I mean, you know, you go to Chicago. Chicago's got seven million people. Or no, not seven. Sorry, three three million people or whatever, right? Yeah. How can when, how when can there have one outside. little five pin center? Like, there's there's no way that I don't think that novelty would be, you know, worn well, out really quick. Actually, I think you bring up a really good point. Is that basically, if you want to grow five pin, you got to go where Canadians are. So, okay, Florida. Think about it like this: Florida is probably more of your East Coast Canadians, so probably five pin would do well there. And Arizona. Uh, and Arizona, go to Phoenix. Yeah. Build a build a five pin center in Phoenix, you're yeah. gonna get Canadians for sure. Like yeah, I, a good point. all the times I was out in Edmonton, I when I first started flying out to Edmonton for the for the other pro shop there back in oh five or oh six I think I'd fly to the Edmonton airport. It had twenty gates maybe. It had thirty gates, and I think the last time I flew there like two three years ago they had like seventy seventy. It's yeah, just bananas 70. how big that airport is. And you look at you look at the terminal and the and the sign. And like every third flight goes to Phoenix. Yep. Absolutely. Every third flight goes to Phoenix or, or Vegas. Yeah. You know. And when when the price of oil is really high and everyone can travel, where do you want to go? Somewhere hot and comfortable. Yep. You know. So for the East Coast, basically, if you want to go somewhere hot and cheap, you're going to Florida, Dominican, Cuba, and if you're West Coast, you're going Mexico, Arizona, California, stuff like that. Yeah, Palm Springs. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. We actually, were, we actually were down in Cuba and bowled down there, so 10-pin. Yeah, we did. <laughs> in we, we in made, a 10-pin center? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. In our street shoes. Yep. And we made wow. manager's day. Like, we were the best bowlers he had ever seen. It By was awesome. far. It By was far. awesome. Yeah. yeah. He just we're, sat behind us and was like, yeah. yeah. Were the bowling balls, like, as old as the cars out in the street and stuff? Oh, yeah. No. Well, well, they well, were, no, they no, were no, plastics. No. There was no 
fancy hammer yeah. bowling ball down there. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's but the bowling alley was relatively new, honestly. But everything oh, yeah. was everything was cement, oh, and they oh. had uh, they they couldn't get Cubica because obviously the the trade embargo. Yeah, it's American. States. I, I thought it was Japanese. Was it Via? But like, it was it was Asian of some sort. Yeah. It's probably Chinese. Yeah, yeah. It, it was, and it's like probably Chinese. Oh, half the lanes were down, and he had no idea what it said. No parts. Like, yeah, it was it was yeah. cool, and the yeah, humidity yeah. Uh, the humidity really affected the machines. Oh, oh. They kept having the lanes break down because things the humidity would like rust them out or whatnot. Yeah. Probably caused electrical problems too. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. It wasn't all the had... debris from street shoes or nothing, but <laughs> no, beers. Well, everyone loves a Cuba Libre when you're bowling, right? So <laughs> absolutely, yeah, that's right. <laughs> like. Uh, it's funny you mentioned that because I, I was online looking through North Korea, when when Mr. Trump was going across the Asian Asia Pacific region saying, "I'm bringing freedom to, to to North Korea. We're gonna hammer out a deal and denuclearize the whole area," and then two weeks later I went, "No, I, I saw a video of uh, I, I read about it. There was they said there was a bowling center set up in North Korea, right? And for the land of the hermit, basically where it's like the most, it, it you know it's because it's a hermit kingdom or whatever they call it, right? There is a bowling center in North Korea that's got 10-pin. And it's a big house. It's like a 30- or 40-lane house. But, like, it looks like it was built in the 60s and it's trapped in a, in a, in a time capsule. You know? It's, like, literally so out of date, so poorly maintained. And I think, I think at some point, they, didn't they declare that the father, like Kim Jong-il, shot 300 the first time he ever bowled or whatever? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Probably. No, he's Mr. Perfect. Probably. So. <laughs> he's Mr. Perfect. Like, he's got, like, every, he's got, like, 35 holes in one or something like yeah. that. So, yeah. yeah. It sounds like it, Putin. Yeah. yeah, oh, yeah. I, 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 I've shot 300 and wrestled the bear, and I bowled 900 in the same week. Right. <laughs> and, and I'm better than all the NHL players out there, too. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I have Mr. Trump right behind me carrying my shoes. No problem. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> what a... <laughs> Bite my tongue. Bite my tongue. Don't yeah. swear. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, on the other podcast, Tim, what uh, what were some other things that we maybe were misinformed about? Well, temp and bowling balls basically they lose performance because of oil reduction. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, oil, oil absorption. Sorry, oil, oil absorption. Uh, I'm sure you guys see the same thing with five pin too. Like you have a set of pips yeah. after so much time, they absorb so much oil, and you, the ball just doesn't want to roll anymore. It doesn't want to pick up pick up a rule mm-hmm. um, that I there's definitely similarities there with the cover stock absorbing oil uh, for 10 pin um, actually you know what I I'm a I consider myself like a a decent coach and watching five pin I think you guys are the game's really all about timing and tempo and for sure for, uh, for 10 pin like the majority of you guys bowl three step or four step yeah, or one sometimes five. Yeah. One or the other, yeah. Yeah, and with 10-pin, the majority of bowlers bowl five or four or five. Right. And for timing-wise, you need to move the ball either on your first step or second step. And with 5-pin, it's kind of like you just got to move the ball on your leg at the same time and go and launch and accelerate forward and slide forward and deep knee bend and, and stay low. And with 10-pin, it, it's the same thing. The finish position is almost the same except the trail leg instead of sitting behind you, goes to the left. So the, the physics behind that are, at the line, you don't really want to be square. You want to be open. Yeah, and that, that's a big thing in ours. You don't see a lot of open shoulders too much, right? You, you don't need to yeah. create that, that angle to get past your leg or the ball's small enough that if you can move your hand by it, you should be fine. You don't have a big yeah. big bowling ball to move between you and your leg, between your hand <laughs> and your leg. Well, I, I can tell you right now, every single every single ten pin bowler that has practiced and practiced and practiced, at some point they have hit their ankle. Oh yeah. <laughs> and when you smoke your ankle, and you hit it good enough, either you're you put a hole in your sock, or you bruise your ankle, or you cut your leg open on your sock, hitting your ankle so good, and and it bounces into the gutter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have ever done that with five pin, but we have. Uh, 
Yeah. Then, then you know you're do- if you have, you know you're doing it right. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> I don't know. I crawled off the lane. So I, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't want to do I'm it right. <laughs> I'm surprised you guys don't have more hip problems, trying to, you know, and all that stuff. Oh, dude, you nail it. You nail it right on the head. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we do. Bowlers. It's it's an asymmetrical sport, which really screws you up. I've got to say, and Chris Barnes, your your number one fan bowler there. Number one. Him famously a couple of years ago had to have like major back surgery because of that. Mm-hmm. Like uh, his back was just a mess because if you if you had a look at his back from behind, right, and his whole like one side was just really muscular and the whole other side looked like Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> you know, because you're so built up on one side and it's all your upper body on one side and all your lower body on the other side. You know, you couldn't be more screwed up. Like Ryan Seminelli, uh, Popeye. Oh yeah, His man! One arm, arm like, is hey. huge. <laughs> I don't know if you guys can see that, but yeah. my right arm is like right yeah. arm's way bigger than the left arm is. Yeah, and that that just comes with the sport being so heavy. So Popeye was Popeye is a good example of uh, of Ryan Samelli right there. Yeah. Um, mm. Me personally, uh, I have I don't know about you guys, but I don't know if you guys want to talk about injuries and stuff. Mm-hmm. That could be a whole other whole other topic right there. But I, I'm pretty beat up at 33. I gotta say, I'm feeling it. For sure. Yeah, like, I've gone through a few injuries, but most of it was kind of before bowling. Like, baseball was my shoulder. And then, but through bowling is my left knee and my left hip. You get a little mm-hmm. bit of, a little bit of torque pressure, I guess you call it, or whatever. Sure. You get a pinching sure. and stuff like that. But uh, that can be alleviated, right? Uh, I've recently switched to building my own bowling shoes and creating a better slide and sliding more. And that pain has gone away. You don't yeah, have for that, sure. that, uh, that sudden stop or the, the plant, mm-hmm. as you call it. I plant guess. and jerk. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah honestly, uh, my knee and my back. Yeah. But it's also partially because I'm, I'm really overweight. That's the bowler. That, I, I really don't want to say this, but that's the bowler physique. No, I'm no. dad bod. Yeah, it's a dad bod. Yeah, I'm, I'm working on the dad bod. I'm just not a dad yet. So. Yeah. But that, that's one thing, especially with uh, our, us hard checkers. I, I'm mm-hmm. surprised there's not more shoulder injuries and, you know, rotator cuff injuries from, from bowling, right? There's, I know there's a couple guys out there with, like, really massive uh, backswings mm-hmm. and, uh, like, a Derek Orn of the world that uh, they're, they're just going to end up having issues down the road. Um, but we, we've done so many reps and it, it, I don't know, Carrie, you're another guy who throws it a a mile, right? So have you ever had any major either elbow or shoulder injuries due to bowling? At one point, I forget when it was, I think it was a master's tournament, probably six, seven. No, no, it was a TSN qualifier when we still had TSNs in like the eighth or ninth game. It was a 10 game qualifier tournament. In the eighth or ninth game, I, I had some numbness and some tingling in the ends of my fingers, and it was from a shoulder impingement. I had a, a pinched nerve in it or whatever. But as for any destruction of the shoulder or anything, nothing like that, just, just some nerve pinching and stuff like that. But I think I think that came from my baseball injury. I don't even believe that even came from bowling. It, over well, over you, the you top don't... is bad for your sh- rotator cuff, right? Everything down below is pretty good. It's going over the top that really wrecks this. <laughs> well, you don't throw like Randy Johnson, right? So no, no that's right. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I that, that's something we talked about was like um, with our knees and everything. Five pin, we find like when we talked about Dexter's shoes, mm-hmm. we just don't find the support with those anymore, right? And and like just how do we torque it and the, the pace we play with sometimes. Sure. Um, so so Carrie did mention we, we most of us honestly the higher competitive ones are moving to building our own shoes. Sure. Makes so sense. We, so we so we buy your like your we buy the replacement sliders and heels and whatnot and, and, glue them on. and we just go yeah no well actually we go get Velcro. We uh, we go to shoe smith, they put Velcro on bottom of a pair of shoes for us for ten, fifteen dollars. Sure. And then we end up doing our own shoes and heels like that. So yeah, it's something we we're on our end because uh, I think I said like I, I blew out when I had a pair of tanks within a week two weeks I blew out my, my brand new pair of shoes. Mm-hmm. They already ripped in half, and then so I replaced them and got happened again and did it again. So within six weeks, I had three different sets of shoes. Right, it just doesn't 
Yeah, yeah, it's not yeah, worth yeah. the money, right? For, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. For a bowling shoe that was called uh, the, t- uh, the the tank. Sorry, the SST tank. <laughs> like the irony of it was phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you have sure. you noticed a decline in in quality? I mean, maybe maybe that's not something you could really speak on, uh, considering your sponsorship. But uh, <laughs> have you? Have you noticed a decline in quality over in bowling shoes over the last number of years, or is it? Do you think it's something from just like mass production as opposed to, you know, back in the day when it seemed like bowling shoes would last forever? Well, well, the thing is, just to just to clarify that a little bit better, like the actual Storm branding on the Storm shoes. Yes. The Storm shoes are made by Dexter. Yes. yes. Oh, so they, that they, I didn't know. Yeah. They come out of the same place basically. So, but the thing is that the um, the Storm shoes. They're they're given some different technologies from Dexter to separate them and, and differentiate the product line, uh, so they do have different characteristics, um, different quality letters and stuff like that. But the bases and the molds are all the same for the bottom of the shoe. It, that needs to be universal to still fit for to work from a Dexter shoe versus a Storm shoe. Um, okay. General quality wise, with the market that the way the market is and the way that things are working global production wise in general, like. You cannot make a bowling shoe in America. I personally don't think you can. It's just not affordable. Uh, the cost of labor is too high. The labor is very specialized in reality to actually be making a good quality shoe. Materials aren't a problem because you can make all that stuff in America, and you can still glue a shoe together without OSHA freaking out, you know, from the glue fumes and stuff like that. Yeah. But just your labor costs would be very, very high versus China. And the funny thing is if you think about, like, a, an entry-level shoe like a Ricky. 10 or 15 years ago, it might have retailed for around $50, $60, and now they retail for about 80 95 yeah. 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 Now they retail yeah. for about $85. You know, where where does the price come from? And the majority of that comes from labor in China. Uh, I'm not an expert. I'm going to guess. I'm going to take a guess and say it's from labor in China and materials costing more and the world market changing and actually duties changing as well because, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. stuff like dollar for sure. And yeah. the Canadian dollar is a big factor too, because post two thousand eight, our dollar was worth a hundred. Our dollar was worth ten cents plus, you yeah. know. And now we're looking at a dollar where we're paying a dollar thirty, you know, yeah. where we got to give them thirty cents for every extra dollar to get back. So, you know, that that definitely doesn't help. Yeah, yeah, we found uh, like with especially with the Rickies, it was like fifty bucks. The Raquel's the same way, and then uh, especially with our like our our balls, I mean. Paramount. I mean, I remember you can buy a set for 112, uh, yeah. and now that's and now you're paying 100 and 100 ball, right? So it just retail. It just it's it's tough for a consumer, and it just with the Canadian dollar and everything else like that. And yep. Like like uh, as a bowling center, I know you can go on Amazon, you can purchase that stuff. I I really don't. Uh, I mean, we we publicize. Hey, you know what? If if it doesn't work, right? Doesn't fit. We can always return it. We keep it in yeah, stock. Yeah. That, that, sure. That's the bonus, but. For these people who can buy a pair of uh, Raquel's online for forty bucks, I mean, free shipping yeah, from Amazon. Uh, yeah, all the power to them, right? You know. Um, yeah. I mean, it's understandable. Yeah, There's nothing, nothing you can do about it. Nothing we can do about it. No. Nope. It's just the way the, nope. the sport is and the industry is, right? So. Yeah, and and like getting to the the quality question, uh, has the quality changed? It's changed. Whether for the good or the bad is a different story. Me personally, I remember having a pair of the original uh, SST sixes. I had the black and peacock ones. Yeah, yeah. And I think I bought those off of I bought those off of a off of a forum, a bowling forum, where it was like all kinds of buy and sell and exchange stuff like that. And there was a guy selling them for a little bit cheaper than everyone else was. And I bought a pair and I got them up here, and I was maybe seven, sixteen, seventeen, I think at the time. And I begged my father to let me borrow his credit card. Oh my God, that was a mistake. <laughs> I paid for those shoes and then some because what happened was they brought the shoes over. The guy shipped them up by UPS. UPS shows up, knock on the door. COD, yeah. Man in Brown says COD, brokerage fees, duty yeah. because you pay, I think, around 20 or 22% tariff on leather goods uh-huh. or shoes. Whether it's leather or not, you still pay the tariff, anyways. And I was like, I don't have another 80 bucks in me. I'm standing here in my shorts and it's like 10 a.m. I don't have money on me. Like, what do you want me to do? And we'd already paid for the shoes, and I had to uh, take. I had to take public transit, the bus, from my house to the UPS depot to go pick it up and pay for them mm-hmm. to get them. 
And if I would have bought them in my local pro shop, and I would have like, you know, said, "Hey, can you guys can you help me give me a deal or something like that?" I'll I promise I'll buy something else or I'll get out of their friends to buy together. I would have been able to get the same shoes for 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 less money. So yeah, I I guess I guess the big thing for me is maybe the quality is more in question because you no, know, the price is so high because of everything else. If you if you had a pair of Rickies and you're you're paying fifty dollars for them and they, they pooch you know after a year and a half it's like okay well it's only fifty bucks yeah now it's now it's like okay it's eighty five dollars that's that's a that's a little bit different right so maybe the quality hasn't changed but uh, the price has made a def- people definitely look into it a little bit more I'd look at it too is like uh, overall in general everything in China is getting more expensive because unfortunately the Chinese labor market is waking up and saying hey I don't want to work for ten cents an hour. You know, yeah, I have other friends that yeah. work in other industries too, where they they work in global outsourcing and stuff like that, and they have a labor problem there too, where you know they can't get enough labor. The labor they do get is not skilled enough. The labor they do get that is skilled is wanting more money, and the country just can't make goods really cheap anymore. You know, yeah. no. So I think that's a big factor too that everyone kind of overlooks. And I've had friends that that work in outsourcing and stuff, and they say. You know, you don't see it right now, but in 20, 30 years from now, in another couple of generations, you're going to see bigger economies come into play, uh, like Africa. Like, you're going to see stuff come out of Africa and other parts of Asia that are still, you don't want to call them third world countries, but they're not emerging. first world countries. They're, emerging markets is the buzzword. Yeah, Emerging markets is your buzzword, and that's where people put their money. And I'm guaranteeing you've got a pair of Nikes in your closet that are made in Vietnam. Because China is too expensive. So, you know, your options are either you be a global citizen and you say, yeah, I'm willing to pay more because the worker in China gets paid better. Or I want to keep paying cheap for shoes and it goes to another country. So, Uh, Quite quite honestly, I don't even think the uh, the quality is the bigger issue. And uh, when you start getting into, you know, the higher end of of the Dexter, the SST8s, personally, I, I just think there's a major design flaw. Especially on the outside of the slider, uh, there there's a natural break point that was built into that, and every single shoe that I've seen break after you know a couple days uh, is always on that 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 designed flaw. There, there's a break in there. It's going to happen. Uh, I, I remember my first uh, SST8s. I ended up getting four pairs by the time you know Dexter finally sent me SST6s. And said that this is the, this is the end, right? So yeah, this is, uh, it's all this is, all, and you're not sponsored. Yeah, and not no. Yeah, no. Nope. And, 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 and so, so I, I, honestly, I don't even think the the, the quality is so bad because it, it, it's basically a mold, right? It, it's uh, I don't think that's the issue, but all of a sudden now the prices keep going higher and higher and higher, and all you're doing is forcing you know the general public away from your high end product. Uh, and, and of course, in the you know the five pin world, our, our slide is is so much different than the ten. Yeah, it's, 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 very it's much not so. a pl- it's not a plant, right? It, we need full on slides here, and we still need to be able to drive hard into the line. That that's where all sure. of our, our our leg issues and knee issues come from. Yep. yep. Um, but uh, I'd love to see a different high end quality designed for the five pin game. I can't not see somebody in the market. One of these big boy companies being able to look at this market because they they can design something for ten pin also. Yeah, like right. I, I know I know the design you're, I know the design flaw you're talking about actually, and Dexter, like they they got to build a bowling shoe for the world. They can't just build it for the the five pin market, mm-hmm. unfortunately. And the way the five the way that the shoe is designed it uh, with the SST8 specifically, those are designed to be for lefties and righties. And they had to make both shoes stiff. And with that, you lose the flexibility and you end up having to put Velcro on both sides. And you saw it the way the Velcro had one giant piece of Velcro. And I'm betting the shoe always cracked right behind the Velcro. Yeah. Yeah. Always. Yeah. With that, the Velcro is bonded on there so strong that basically when the shoe bends, the only part that doesn't bend is the Velcro. Mm-hmm. And that's what breaks. And if you look at the newer versions of the SST8s, there's actually a gap between the front of the Velcro and the back of the Velcro. Okay. So the shoe has more pliability. It does bend better. <clears throat> but if you got guys that have real knee D-bends and they can bend their toe back like 90 degrees, 
they can still mm -hmm. bend the shoe in half, and you could you you can still make the shoe not look indestructible, pretty much. Like yeah. um, the SS with the new not SSDs with the new nines, there's actually two sections that are split where the shoe yeah, will bend they're grooves, better. Yeah, they're grooved, but. The thing is, in that technology, they had to redesign all the molds, and they had to redesign the production yeah. process, and use better quality materials, and you get ultimately a, a little more expensive shoe. And you know, ultimately, if your goal is to keep the product still cheap, that's a really hard combination to pull off of a right. performance shoe I mean, that becomes you're, you're cheaper. Looking, so you're looking at seventy-five dollars for a replacement heel, right, or slider? He, slider, I think it was. I think our cost is uh, heel. Right? Like retail 50. retails around I think fifty seven or something. Okay, so it was like thirty five I think our cost was. But I'm yeah. thinking about it, it's like okay for us uh, five pinners. Uh, I mean other than decks maybe, but I know Adam and Terry and I blew through sliders left, right, and center throughout the year. So mm -hmm. if we're paying three or four, five, six sliders, that yeah. adds up. But but not, not just that. The hard part for me is that with generic sliders we have out there, you know Adam blows out a slider. Okay, here's one for my bag, right? You can't do that with an SST nine. That's no, because they're very specific. Make, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's one like downside downside for me, right? That, so. that was the one market in five pin where guys would get new shoes and then they trade away all. Like I would trade away all my eights and tens oh, yeah, for four, sure. fours and twos from everybody else, right? To try and try and get the heavier slider for me when I used the plant sure. quite a bit more, but now I've gone away from that. So I want them all back if you guys still got them, just so you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> nope. so I'm guessing, uh, so I'll, we'll do a little here informal poll here. Like yeah. my shoe combination on a Dexter, I wear the um, I wear the eight in the front and I wear a, a rippled heel three in the back. Yeah, that's me. Okay. I have a 10 in the front and I have a, the old white heel in the back, solid. So, so the like the regular five, like a five, yeah, like a, a standard five, pretty much. Yeah, 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 that's what I have. Mine completely depends if I'm playing wood or synthetic, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, typically on, on like the wood at, at Sherwood, I, I'm probably like a, a nine uh, up front, and then uh, probably the the biggest innovation that that I found the most success uh, was the leading edge heels. Mm -hmm. So yep. uh, I, I would, uh, you know, I'd, I'd, my knee would just be in, in dire need at the end of, uh, of a major tournament, um, you know, without that leading edge. And then now I, I can actually slide very easily, even on synthetic. Uh, okay. So that, that's by far the biggest innovation that uh, this helped my game in the shoot world. You're not a red heel user. None of you guys are red heel users. Okay, so so going on that topic, we are the exception. You, you look okay. at most of the players, I can speak from Red Deer area, they play mm -hmm. with red felt red. heel. Okay. And they'll play like a 10 or a 12 slider. Okay. Um, These guys want to slide on ice, basically. Yeah. So what, yeah. I, what I'm playing with now is an S6 slider and a T5 cut to fit my heel. Yeah. You are a brave man, my friend. <laughs> just just uh, what feels comfortable. I used to be just a, whatever it was, um, an H5 An S2. Heel. An S2 mm -hmm. and an H5, yeah. Sure. Yeah. The brown oh, the one. The brown sole, yeah. I have dozens and dozens of brown soles that, that I'm never going to use, and I can send them to you, no problem. Ship them out. <laughs> <laughs> no chance, man. No chance. <laughs> if I basically don't want to slide, I'll go back and put my new balances back on again, and I'll, I'll be just as fine <laughs> with those Playing ones. Playing street shoe, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, uh, <laughs> like, like for me... Uh, this is actually a, this is gonna be a whole conversation in itself, I think. But like, I wear uh, the new Dexter Boas, and okay, I've worn with the crank, yeah, with the crank in the back. Like, I like for me, a pair of bowling shoes. I don't know about you guys, but for me, a pair of bowling shoes lasts eight months, typically eight <laughs> months. Be and that was when I was bowling three times a week. And the reason for that was one, my feet sweat, my feet sweat and they stink. Uh, I own a pro shop, and I don't really care. I'll get new shoes all the time because. I got money to burn, whatever. Not really, not really, but just not really, but just I gotta show off the product, and if, if I don't know the shoe, I can't sell the shoe. Yep. And that came into play quite a bit. And I would just get new ones because I I prefer taking a shoe that's a little snug and wear it tight because I want to be really solid on the shoe. I don't want to have any looseness or any play in them. Right. And I'll I'll wear in a bowling shoe like. Uh, I'll wear like a ten and a half wide, 
in a bowling shoe and I'll wear like a, an 11, 11 and a half in a, sne- in a street shoe. So for me, I would wear a shoe for eight months and I would stretch it out to the point I couldn't wear it anymore. It'd just be all flubbery and all ripped up, ripped up and I would just get a new pair. So I wore uh, countless pairs of the SST6 uh, LE and the LZ and the LX. I wore a, a bunch of the uh, SST5s, the, uh, the black ones. Those were yeah, really my yeah, favorites. Yeah. They were really good. Too. They were really oh, yeah. good because that was there was one version of white, those. But... Yep, there was one version of those that was the black first version. Those were lambs, uh, lamb leather, I think, or kangaroo leather from kangaroo, uh, kangaroo, absolutely. It was kangaroo. Had... It said Pittard's leather inside the box, mm-hmm. yeah. and that was that was like going back to the quality thing. That was a shoe. Now that was a yeah. good shoe. Yeah, the SST ones were hands down the best shoe that Dexter ever made. I think. I mean, at the price point at the time, they were like one hundred and fifteen dollars, and they would last forever. But the worst part is that working working for Bufa, right? We 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 get a little insider track of what's coming next season. Uh, and yeah, I'm. I'm uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. God, say no more. Say anything. Say anything. It's like. Um, so <laughs> I think you guys. I think you guys are going to be very, very surprised and very happy because I've yeah. seen Dexter's catalog coming up next season. They showed us uh, Bud Clapsaddle, the uh, the international VP for Dexter, showed us what's coming up next, and I thought to myself, they are really doing a good job at expanding the middle of the line. Awesome. Yeah. That's that's what so, that's what we need as a proprietor side. That's really what we need for sure. Look look for a shoe that's going to sell more at that 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 SST one price point type of thing. Mm-hmm. And and if I I can remember when I first started working in purse shops, the SST one was the shoe I sold almost everybody if yeah. they had the money to spend it because it was a nice quality shoe. It was made in China. It wasn't wasn't like it was American made, but I mean it was okay leather. It was wasn't great leather, but it was okay leather. But the shoe slid well. The shoe the shoe was durable and it held up well. And I think Dexter's kind of going back to something like that, to that sort of price point, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, to give you more options. Because if you look at a retail pair of shoes, right? If you want to spend something, if you want to spend more than 120 or 130 bucks, your options are a Keegan Plus, and then yeah. you got something way over 200 bucks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're gonna they're gonna kind of fill that gap in and and give you some more options in there, for I think for men's and for ladies too. Oh, Awesome. Cool. Thanks, guys, for coming out. Uh, yeah, thank no problem. Tim Thompson for uh, joining us from Bufa Distributors. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you on the next podcast.